It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. It's a good Friday special. Happy Easter uh, to everybody who celebrates it. If you don't celebrate it, but you've got a couple of bank holidays, then that's great as well. Uh, But hope you are all doing good. First of all, I want to apologize for the lack of a podcast yesterday. Um, I spoke to some of you guys in the Discord server, those of you who are members of the channel, as as you'll already know. Um, I was one of the lucky ones uh, to be given my uh, COVID-19 vaccine, the first dose. But unfortunately, um, and I knew it was coming, it made me unwell yesterday um, and I felt terrible. And I just about got through uh, the work that I had to do without fail. So um, that's why there was no podcast yesterday. I'm feeling a lot better now, though. Um, got a bit of a dead arm but other than that feeling good uh so yeah back today and this is one of two podcasts that we're going to be bringing you today two live streams and on this one we're going to be doing something a little bit different to what we normally do we're not going to be reacting to the immediate news we're not going to be reacting to transfer rumors and and things that have been doing the rounds since the international break started we're not even going to look ahead to the Liverpool game we're saving that for later Uh, but on this edition I'm going to look at the five positions that I think Arsenal need to prioritize this summer and I'm going to rank them in order of their importance I'm going to do it in reverse order I've picked out five positions I'm going to do it five four three two one so backwards until we get to the one that I feel is Arsenal's biggest priority ahead of this summer's transfer window. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you uh, smash the like button. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you are new. It is really, really important. And if you're interested in becoming a member and supporting me to bring you more Arsenal-related content, then click on the link in the description. Come join our membership scheme and get access to our brilliant Discord server as well as some other benefits. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's start off with... Number five, and number five for me is the right back position. Now, you're probably looking at the right back position and saying, why on earth has he put that at number five? I know in the eyes of many, there is a there is a real need to address that situation this summer. However, I'm going to give you my reasons. I'm going to give you the way, I, you know, how I've got to that conclusion. Um, and, and so here goes. There's been a lot of talk about Hector Bellerin leaving the club this summer. And I think that is likely. I think that Hector Bellerin could well be on his way out of the Emirates Stadium. And I think that he is at a point in his career where he feels a new challenge. I don't think he's become um, or or he is any longer, um, what's the word, an invaluable asset. I think actually he's one of the few sellable assets that we have. And I'm actually all for him being moved on. I think it would be the right decision for the club. And clearly it would be the right decision for Hector as well. So I think that Hector Bellerin will leave and then that leaves us with the right back position. 
where we've got Cedric, we've got Callum Chambers, Ainsley Maitland-Niles could return. He is going to return initially, but we don't know how long for. We don't know whether he'll be sold on. But the reason I've ranked this one in terms of priorities at number five is because for me, we could raise money from the sale of Hector Bellerin, but in my opinion, cover it with internal solutions. I've mentioned Cedric Suarez, who I think has been really, really good um, of late and I think has proven that he is capable of playing in that position regularly. I think Callum Chambers has shown signs that he can also do a job, a slightly different job uh, and one that may be more suitable for certain fixtures. You saw him used against West Ham um, because he was taller, because he would give us a little bit more um physicality in the defensive third, but equally he got forward and he made things happen. So I think Callum Chambers is a potential, um, you know, is a potential uh, internal solution. But with Cedric Suarez at the club as well, I think that, um, that that is number five in terms of our priorities this summer. Moving on to number four, I think we've got to look at the left-back situation. Um, you know, again, you look at it and you you try and work out, you know, what we can do. Obviously, Ser Kolasinac is going to return from his loan spell at Schalke and he'll have one year remaining on his contract. Ainsley Maitland-Niles um, is, is going to return as well. In the event that we keep one of them, then the left-back position is not a major, major priority for me because Kieran Tierney is clearly the number one. Anybody who comes in, uh, as a left-back to Arsenal, we'll be doing so knowing that they're going to play second fiddle to Kieran Tierney. But again, it's, it's it's towards the bottom of my rankings, not because I look at it and I say, well, beyond Kieran Tierney, we've got lots of excellent options. We don't. But it's because we have two players who will both be returning this summer who I think are OK enough. <laughs> OK. Uh, I know it doesn't fill you with confidence, but OK um, is enough for them to play second fiddle. Plus, you know, Cedric could go there if Chambers played at right back. And, you know, there are different things that Mikel Arteta can do. Um, Sam mentions in the chat that Bertrand on a free would be ideal. I completely agree. And I put an article up on 90 min, um, which is going to be going out later today. I, I finished writing it uh, not too long ago. And I mentioned that Ryan Bertrand will probably be the ideal cover um, because he is available on a free transfer at the end of the season. He's 31, which means he's still got some years left in the tank, but also maybe at a point where joining a bigger club would be more important than, um, you know, the, the idea of, of fading off into the sunset and, and playing regularly. But, you know, just cruising by, I guess, at a lower level, I think he'd probably be quite open to joining Arsenal Football Club. So um, I think Bertrand would be an ideal solution. And on a free transfer, it feels like a bit of a no-brainer to me. Ashton also points out in the chat that Bukayo Saka is capable of playing at left-back as well. And so for me, um, the left-back position is number four in my rankings. Let's move on to number three. And number three for me is, God, I can't even remember what I put. What did I put at number three? What did I put at number three? Um, hold on. I, I remember one and two. The, 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 the striker. Striker. Uh, striker is number three for me. And not because we don't have plenty of strikers at the club right now, right? Okay, when you talk about centre-forwards, we've got Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, we've got Alexander Lacazette, we've got Eddie Nketiah, we've got Foller in Balogun. Four players there uh, who, 
you would say are natural centre forwards. And then you've got the likes of Gabriel Martinelli, who could also play there. And if you're to believe the rumours is is being converted uh, into playing that position. So there's lots of options in that area. But the problem is that there is so much uncertainty around that area of the pitch in terms of the futures of these players. And for me, that's why it pushes higher up the list uh, than the left back or right back positions. Not because we don't have options currently, but because we've got so much uncertainty. Following Balogun looks as though he could be on his way out of the club. Arsenal say they're confident he'll stay, but there hasn't been anything to suggest that that's going to happen. He's not played any football lately, not a first team level anyway. Eddie Nketiah in a similar position was getting plenty of opportunities under Mikel Arteta earlier on in the campaign. But those opportunities have dried up and I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Nketiah was to leave. Alexander Lacazette enters into the final year of his contract next season and that could persuade Arsenal to sell him. Will they be willing to make another significant investment on a player who by next season is going to be 30? I'm not so sure. I think that... um, I think that you know, it's, um, I think that it's a situation that really needs addressing. I think you could get some money in for Alexander Lacazette this summer. And if you're looking at the longer term future, uh, then I think that actually, um, we'd probably be best off to move him on. And I, I like what he brings to the table. I like what he does, but for me, um, I, I think that it's, um, it, it's, he's somebody that we could move on, um, in order to start building for the future, put Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang back in his preferred position. And then we can start looking at, you know, look, uh, looking a little bit further ahead. I'd like to see Odson Edouard come in. I think the problem at Arsenal now is that we've got two centre-forwards in Lacazette and Aubameyang who bring you very different things. But I think in an ideal world, we'd have someone who's a little bit of an in-between, somebody whose profile fits in between the pair of those. So what I mean by that is somebody who can run in behind and prefers to run in behind or is willing to run in behind like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is and somebody who's better at dropping off, getting involved in the play in a slightly deeper position, has the ability to press. All of those things that Lacazette brings to the table, I think you need a bit of a hybrid of the two and that will be our long-term future. But the other way of looking at it is how much is it going to cost right, to go out and get a centre forward that is better than Alexander Lacazette. And if we can't afford to do that, then you need to keep him because I don't trust in, in Eddie Nketiah or Fuller and Balogun at this stage in their careers to lead the line for Arsenal over a sustained period of time and do a good enough job. Um, so that's where that's where I stand on that. But I make it number three in terms of our priorities because we do have players at the club. Um, so it's not one or two, but we do uh, we do need to, if not bring people in, then we at least need to clear up what is going on there because there is a lot of uncertainty around Balogun, around Nketiah, around Lacazette. Obviously, Aubameyang signed that contract last summer uh, and it looks as though he's going to be staying put. So there is a lot of uncertainty there and that is why I prioritised that one at number three. Uh, let's go over to the live chat and I want to say a massive thank you to Charles Uh, for your very, very kind Super Chat donation. Thank you so much, mate. It says, have a great weekend, everyone. Hope to see a positive result as well. Appreciate all your work, H. Charles, thank you so much, mate. And I really, really appreciate your support. Um, Honestly, it means the world to me. So thank you so much, man. And um, hope you have a great weekend too. 
Uh, Dave Atkinson, going back to the Bertrand point, says, as far as I know, Bertrand's contract runs till 2022. And Tom from the Guna Talk agrees. So who is right, Harry? I'm not going to claim uh, to be in the know about Southampton's contracts and and that. I go by, and it's a website that we use uh, when we're writing about the game. Um, I go by transfermarket.co.uk where you'll see it uh, just here, just above Dave's comment. It says contract expires June 30th, 2021. He signed his last Southampton contract on July 12th, 2016. So it was a four-year deal. And to my knowledge, and based on what this says, and this is what I'm going by, his contract is due to expire at the end of this season. Now, if that's wrong, um, I apologise, but I'm pretty confident that transfer market uh, would be relatively accurate in this. As I say, it's it's his website that's used in the industry for things like this, uh, for fact-checking stuff like this. So I'm not saying it's impossible for them to make a mistake. They might well have done, but I would say that I'm going to go by this. So uh, as I say, Dave, I'm happy to be proven wrong, uh, but I'm, I'm basing it um, on what that source tells us. Um, just touching on the striker point, Matt G says, Harry, do you think Balogun already has a deal in place with another club, but it just hasn't been announced yet? P- possibly, Matt. I-, I find it strange that, you know, we're at this point in the season, we're in April now, and there's been no confirmation of him staying. I think if he's going to stay, it would have been announced by now um, to put an end to the speculation. I think it's still up in the air. I think he could well move on. Um, you know, from what I've seen of him in glimpses, from what I've read about him, from what I've heard about him, he seems like a really good talent. And the fact that so many clubs are interested in him backs that point up. But he hasn't proven it at first team level. And if he does leave, it wouldn't be the end of the world, in my opinion. Um, It's not something I'd be losing sleep over. It might be a Serge Gnabry case, right? Where we look back in three or four years and say, we made a serious mistake allowing this guy to go. But hindsight is a wonderful thing. And right now, would I lose sleep over following Balogun leaving? No, I wouldn't. Um, but I think that the possibility of his, him leaving increases with every week that passes and we don't get an announcement uh, about him potentially staying. So, uh, yeah, I think they're, they're, I think if he's not made his mind up, he's certainly considering his uh, his options. Uh, Brad Richardson says uh, Aguero on a free. Sergio Aguero's got plenty to offer in football, right? But I feel like Sergio Aguero's heart is on leaving the Premier League and leaving England. You've got to remember that Sergio Aguero is in the UK by himself, right? His son lives in Argentina with his mother. Um, He's got nobody here. And I think that Manchester City, which has been his home for so many years, uh, a club at which he's established himself as a legend, for them to almost, and I'm going by what Boovy said on on the gas tank yesterday. Um, Obviously, Manchester City fan follows and reports on the club very closely. He seems to think that the decision to move Aguero on is club-led rather than it being led by the player, Um, which may suggest he's open to to staying in the Premier League. But I just get, I've got the impression from Sergio Aguero over the last couple of seasons, actually, that his longer term plan was always to return was always to leave the Premier League and to 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 return to Argentina uh, where he can be close to his family i think that a return to argentina is is a possibility but 
Sergio Aguero would have to take a significant pay cut for that to happen uh, because we know that the clubs in, in Argentina don't have necessarily the finance that some of the Premier League big boys do. A move to Barcelona could be on the cards for Sergio Aguero, uh, where he could link up with his really close friend, Lionel Messi. Um, I don't know what the future holds for Sergio Aguero, but Mikel Arteta pretty much ruled out uh, the possibility of, of, of making a move for him. He's a brilliant striker, but again, are we falling into that trap? You know, a lot of Arsenal fans have been talking over the last few years about the fact that we've become a bit of a retirement home, that we go and pick up players from more successful sides than us that are in the twilight of their careers. And given Aguero's injury problems over the last 18 months or so, I think that you could probably confidently say that whilst the ability is there, his best days are behind him. And I'm not sure if I would be tempted into that trap if I was Arsenal of going and spending big money on him. And, and let's make no mistake about it. It would be a free transfer, but there would be a significant signing on fee and there would be a significant pay packet. I think Arsenal have worked so, so hard over the last six months or so to make that wage bill more affordable, to make it more sustainable. And therefore, I can't see um, them going crazy on Sergio Aguero. But look, in... Just from a sentimental perspective and from a sort of history perspective, of course, he's a he's a fantastic player and someone many people would like to see at the Emirates Stadium. That's for sure. Um, let me continue through my list and then I'll come back to the chat and I'm going to ask you guys to put your questions in as well. So at number five, in terms of my list of priority positions, Arsenal need to address this summer. At number five, I went with right back. At number four, I went with left back. At number three, I went with striker. At number two, I'm going with attacking midfield. And that is the position currently occupied by Martin Erdegaard. What is going to happen with Martin Erdegaard? I've been quietly confident throughout the time he's been at Arsenal that this deal is something that Arsenal can turn into a permanent transfer. I understand, and I haven't read it properly yet. I haven't looked into it properly yet. But I understand that Zinedine Zidane has been discussing Erdegaard's future. Um, in the last sort of 24 hours or so that he's been talking about uh, the fact that he's very happy with his development at Arsenal and that they're going to bring him back and that guarantees have been given to the Norwegian about his game time and about the role he will play at the Bernabeu moving forward. However, um, even if Real Madrid were considering selling Martin Odegaard, I don't think they would talk about it publicly, right? The minute they say that we're considering selling him, the price just drops down. And so they wouldn't do that. That's bad business. That would be rookie schoolboy stuff. I think Arsenal can still tempt Real Madrid in, but I feel like it's going to be uh, maybe a little bit more difficult than I initially thought. And that pains me to say it because I've really enjoyed Martin Odegaard's performances this season. I've really enjoyed his time at Arsenal so far. I think he's fitting brilliantly. I think that in terms of that number 10 position, Martin Odegaard must be the priority. Only when all other options have been exhausted should Arsenal be looking at at somebody else because I think he's that good. You also don't have to go through that transitional period of a player coming into the club, having to settle down, having to get up to speed physically, having to understand the system. I think that Martin Odegaard has taken to life at Arsenal like a duck to water and that plays a massive part in why I feel he is he should be the priority. Problem is here is that the noises coming out of Real Madrid aren't very positive at the moment. Um, I think with every performance he turns in, 
the difficulty of us bringing him here on a permanent deal increases. Um, I knew that would be the case, um, but I hope that Real Madrid's priorities would be elsewhere. I, I still have a bit of hope that they'll look at the summer and feel as though, you know, they'd prefer to go and get a Kylian Mbappe, for example, and that Martin Odegaard, who's been dispensable, obviously, for years now because he's been out on loan so many times, would be one of the first players that they allow to leave. But, you know, we're going to have to wait and see on that. Um, but that number 10 position is key because if we don't uh, side Martin Odegaard, then we need to bring somebody else in because as talented as Emil Smith-Rowe is, he's proven time and time again that he cannot stay fit. And that is a major, major problem for us. You know, how are we... How can we rely on this guy who breaks down literally every few weeks? You, you can't. And that's why I've put the attacking midfield position at number two. If you said to me that we could only sign Martin Odegaard um, in terms of big name signings this summer, that would be OK with me because I think it's that important. But, um, uh, but you know, it is a priority position, whether it's Odegaard that we capture on a permanent basis or we have to turn our attentions elsewhere. I think, as I keep saying, the problem here is that um, is that with uh, Emil Smith-Rowe's fitness troubles, it, it's, it's got to be right up there. And that's why, for me, it's at number two. At number one, uh, it's the centre of midfield. And the centre of midfield it is, it has been a problematic area for Arsenal throughout the season. When Thomas Partey's not been fit, we've been a shadow of the team that we can be. Um, Granit Xhaka has established himself as a regular, and I'm, I've been quite happy with him. I know... He is obviously somebody who divides opinion. But beyond that, we've got problems. You know, you look at Mohamed Elneny, as likeable as he is, is he good enough at this level? Is he someone that you would put in the team for five, six games in a row and trust in him to, to deliver what you need? No, not for me. I don't think he's good enough. And that's why I'd, I'd, I'd probably... Look at that. This is the number one area. You know, Danny Ceballos is likely to leave. I don't think Arsenal are going to splash out to make that deal permanent. Um, Lucas Torreira has made it clear that he wishes to return to, to South America. Matteo Guendouzi has a difficult relationship with Mikel Arteta. So while, whilst we have options to come back, I'm not sure if they really have futures at the football club. And I wonder if... Um, if they'll be cashed in on, I think they probably will if the if the right money's on the table. And then it's down to Arsenal to go out and identify other players. But I feel like the centre of midfield is such an important part of your team. And I think it's an area that's let us down quite a bit this season. And you look, if Partey and Xhaka are fit every single week, Xhaka is, but if Partey's fit every single week, it's not that big of a deal. But you can't rely on them to be, or you can't rely on Partey to be fit every single week based on what we've seen so far. You're always one suspension, one injury, one sending off away from being really fallible in that position. So I feel like that is the number one position for me. And that is the centre of midfield. So just to round up my rankings at number five, in terms of what positions we should be prioritising. At number five, I've gone with the right-back position. At number four, I've gone with left-back. At number three, I've gone with striker. At number two, attacking midfield. And at number one, centre midfield. So those are the positions that I would be prioritising if I were Mikel Arteta in the event that we don't get European football and we don't have the finances to address all of those areas. That is the order 
in which I would prioritize them. Let me know what you think in the comments and get your questions in as well. Uh, I'm going to run for another 10 minutes or so. Uh, so make sure if you've got any questions, you chuck them in the chat box now and I'll pick up as many as I can between now and the end uh, of the stream. Uh, Sam says, Harry, you should do uh, more videos like this, maybe five ideal targets for each position. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot over the international break, Sam, of how I can mix up the content a little bit, bring something a little bit different uh, to the table sometimes as well. So I'll certainly uh, be doing some more ranking stuff uh, over the next few months. So um, cheers for the heads up and um, thank you for your support as always. Uh, Syed says, Harry, for me, I lost confidence in Leno and I think we need a better goalkeeper. Do you think we need a new goalkeeper? Listen, I've, I've been a critic of Bern Leno at times. I'm not sure that he has always um, been at the level required. I think he's a fantastic shot stopper. I think he's not maybe as dominant as I'd like him to be. He's not as controlling of his penalty area as he perhaps could be. I think the problem with Bern Leno lately has been the distribution thing, right? And obviously the distribution thing is partly a problem or, or is largely down to Mikel Arteta's insistence on playing that way. And I think any goalkeeper you put in that position, if your midfielders aren't good enough to receive the ball there, if your defenders aren't good enough to play it out, I think all goalkeepers are going to have moments like Bern Leno has had. I think I'd love to get a top, top class goalkeeper, but I'll go back to the point I made about Alexander Lacazette earlier. It's all good saying we need to upgrade on them, but how much will it cost to bring in a better goalkeeper than Bern Leno? And can we afford to do that this summer? I don't think so. I think the goalkeeping position that just fell outside of my top five in uh, top five priorities. And the reason for that was because I think we could pick up Matty Ryan, who will be available on a free in the summer as a, uh, and, and continue to have him as backup and would be all right. Um, it is an area that we could be better in, could be stronger in. I don't deny that. But I I, I wouldn't say it's, it's in the top five priorities right now, Saeed. Um, but I do agree with you. There have been moments with Burnley where you've looked at him and, and been a little bit unsure. Sam Rodman says, uh, would Bamford be a good option? Not for me. Um, I think Bamford's had a really impressive season for Leeds. And I think he's proved a lot of people wrong because there were a lot of uh, of people who would have felt having watched him in the Premier League previously that this level was too high for him. What I will say though is part of the reason he has thrived at Leeds under Marcelo Bielsa is because of the role he plays in that team because of how tailored everything is to supply Patrick Bamford. Sometimes managers and players just fit together like a jigsaw puzzle and that's exactly what's happened with Bamford. And Bielsa. Bielsa appreciates all the other things that Bamford brings to the table as well as goals. Um, and as as a result, he's given him the confidence to go on, um, you know, and 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 take things up a level. I still think Bamford misses good chances, though. Um, and when you think about how many goals he scored in the Premier League this season, that tells you that he's always getting into those positions, doesn't he? But I'm not sure that Bamford is Arsenal level. Look, I think he's a good striker. I think he's a good front man. I think he leads the line well for Leeds. But as I say, I just think it's a perfect fit with Marcelo Bielsa. We've never seen Bamford thrive this much under any other coach. Um, and based on that previous evidence, I'm not sure that he would thrive here. Uh, so not for me. Uh, what else have we got? Um, 
Matt says, do you think there is any truth in the Basuma rumours? I haven't heard any reputable journalists say anything. Is it just fans wanting him? Yeah, partly. Um, I, there's been no indication that Arsenal are going to make a, a, an official move for Eves Basuma. I think although Arsenal are in ninth right now, and although Brighton probably will survive and stay in the Premier League, I think the appeal of a club like that to, to somebody like Basuma will be massive. But then it's over to Arsenal to to make Brighton sell. And if Brighton don't get relegated, perhaps they won't have to sell. I don't know. But I'm a little bit on the fence about Basuma. I think he's a really good destroyer. Um, and I think that is amplified by the fact he plays in a team who are very nice on the eye in Brighton. But I think to play at a club like Arsenal, and I'm not being a snob here, I just think to play at a club like Arsenal, you need to have a little bit more in your locker. You need to be a bit more progressive. You need to be a little bit more technical. And I'm not sure that Basuma has that in his locker. Me personally, I'd take him, but it would have to be under the right terms. I wouldn't go and spend £40 million on, on Yves Basuma, like some people are suggesting, especially at a time like this. Um, decent footballer, decent player. But he's a he's a big fish in a small pond right now, and and sometimes that step up is not it is not easy for players to make. I, there's no guarantee he'd be a success at Arsenal. Um, I do like him. I do think he has something to offer, but you know it, the price has got to be right. But in answer to your original question, Matt, is there any truth in it? Me personally, I'm not sure there is anything in it right now. Um, that's not to say he ain't somebody that Arsenal will look at in the future. But right now, I, I can't imagine he's high up the priority list and, and there's been no indication um, that he is. I think, as I've said with a number of other positions, I said it about the striking position. If we're going to do business, first of all, we need to resolve the in-house issues. And when it comes to centre midfield, those issues include Lucas Torreira and Matteo Genduzzi. What is going to happen with them? Once we d deal with their futures, and get any potential funds in that we can for them, then we can start to to plan and we can see what we've got to work with. And then you might see somebody like Basuma come into the picture. Um, Rahul says, uh, should we go for Nuno Mendes from Sporting as a backup to KT? I've got to be honest, Rahul, I don't know a great deal about Nuno Mendes. Um, so thank you for your question, but I'm, I'm going to, go away and have a look at that one because I'm not sure. Um, don't know a great deal about him, so I wouldn't want to sit here and and pretend that I do. Um, Sam says, what do you make of our centre-back situation for next season? Do you think we will need to sign one? Who would you sell from that position? Centre-back situation is interesting, right? Because there's the future of David Luiz is up in the air. Does he stay at the club as a backup option? Does he move on? William Saliba, is due to come back. Dinos Mavropanos is, is someone that we could bring back. I think Saliba will come back because of what Arsenal invested in him. I don't think Mavropanos will. But then in that instance, you'd be left with holding Saliba, two right-sided centre-backs. You'd have Pablo Marie and Gabriel, two left-sided centre-backs. Um, and I think that would be that would be pretty strong and we'd be pretty well stocked in that department, especially if you kept David Luiz as well as a backup to those guys and someone, you know, who could sort of support from behind the scenes, which I think is what Arsenal may end up doing with David Luiz. I don't think we need to sign a centre-back, if I'm honest, but I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal did. And that doesn't really make sense 
but it does in my mind because I feel like Mikel Arteta looks at that centre-back combination right now and the fact that he plays David Luiz every week ahead of Rob Holding, who would be one for the future, maybe suggests that he's not 100% sure on Rob Holding because he's disappeared out of the team, right? He went for a phase where he made the right centre-back position his own and all of a sudden he's disappeared. So does that suggest that Mikel's not 100% happy with him? And so could he look to replace him? Possibly. I don't know. Uh, but I, I I wouldn't say it's a priority area just because I think we're really, really uh, well stocked. Uh, Chris says, uh, hi, Harry. Do you think there will be any youngsters introduced into the squad next season? Um, Sujan, John Jules, Aziz, etc. And replace some current squad players potentially. And that could be why Arsenal... Um, why Arsenal may not be as active as, as we want them to be in the summer. It could be something that Mikel Arteta is looking at. It could be um, a route that we go down. But I'm always, you know, I like the idea of youth coming through. But you don't get Bukayo Sackers and Emil Smith-Rose every day of the week, right? For every one of them, there'll be five or six that try and make the breakthrough and don't. Uh, so I'm not not 100% sure. Um, how much of a role those guys you mentioned will play next season. I'd like to see them in some of the cup competitions maybe and get a good look at them on at, at the first team level. But I wouldn't be banking on any of those if I was Mikel Arteta because the need for results is now. And um, and he has to hit the ground running next season, Mikel Arteta, because there's going to be a lot of pressure if we don't end this season on a high and we continue to struggle at the beginning of the 2021-22 campaign. So, yeah, um, I'd like to see them get given a chance, but I wouldn't say that Mikel is banking on them. Westbird says, so who would you want then in an ideal world, Harry? Um, it's hard to answer this one because I've conditioned myself to not look at the ideal world because I just feel like I'd end up being disappointed. Um, you know, but I think a good window would be you know, for me, I would like us to get Edouard in as a striker uh, because I talked about the need for somebody who's a little bit of a hybrid between Laka and Oba, and I think that he's that man. I think that, yes, it's difficult to step up from the Scottish League most of the time, but Kieran Tierney's done it. Um, and Odson Edouard, I think, would be available at a pretty respectable price, one that fits within our budget and one that. Um, you know, one that makes the risk worthwhile. So I'd I'd want him to come in. I'd bring in Ryan Bertrand, that left back, as I've already said, because I don't think we need improving in the first team there. We just need a backup uh, option for Kieran Tierney. And I think he'd be perfect for that. He's got plenty of experience. And as we've seen with Cedric, experience counts for a lot when you're being put in and out of a side. Um, And then we're talking about you know, the, the number 10 position. That's got to be the main, main things for me. And um, ideally, I want to keep Martin Odegaard. That's how I see it. Um, but it's it's going to be tough, you know, and there's a lot of what we do in the window in terms of incomings is going to be dependent on the outgoings, right? Let's not forget about that. Let's not get away from that. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. We're going to have to wait and see, but great question. Uh, Aditya Singh says, Edouard is a French Enketia, Harry. Bet you haven't seen him play. I actually have seen him play because my first ever job in football writing 
uh, was half covering Arsenal and half covering Celtic. So actually, I watched him play most weeks. Um, he's not a French Eddie Nketiah, that's for sure. Uh, he's far more talented than Eddie Nketiah and I think will go on to have a far better career than Eddie Nketiah. Um, so I think that's a bit of a harsh statement there. Um, and Aditya goes on to say, my God, we seriously don't need to bring in Bertram. We need someone who can compete with Kieran Tierney. But this goes back to the point I made two minutes ago. You need to be living in the real world. And the real world is one in which Arsenal do not have unlimited funds to go out and buy another 25, 30 million pound left back to compete with Kieran Tierney. As much as we'd all love it to happen, that isn't going to happen because the finances are not there. So we're having to get creative in the transfer market. And I would rather we made one big sign-in in the summer, like we did with the Thomas Partey one, and filled positions smartly and effectively. Everybody turned their nose up when Cedric came in at right back as a backup to Hector Bellerin. And now, what, a year down the line, everybody would, or most people would rather see him play ahead of Bellerin. Bertrand is, is similar to Cedric in the sense that he's very experienced. Um, and the transfer would pose very little risk. So, you know, obviously in an ideal world, Aditya, I'd love um, to see Arsenal go and bring in another 25, 30 million pound left back to compete with Kiratini. It's just not realistic though. And I keep having this argument with Arsenal fans all the time because people's expectations are up here sometimes. And if you set your expectations too high, you'll inevitably be disappointed. I'm not saying you should drop your standards, but your expectations have to be realistic and then they're not with a lot of fans at the moment. Uh, Jovan says, uh, do we really think Saka is good enough to be starting week in, week out? I feel our standards have dropped if we're saying someone with his output is good enough for a club like Arsenal. Interesting. Um, bit of a controversial one, this. I think that that Saka is good enough and I think you've got to remember how young he is and how much he still has to uh, develop and you know, progress and, and what he has in front of him and his ceiling, if you like. I do think that at times, not all the time, because a lot of the time he's warranted the praise he's had, but I do feel at times his impact on the side or his level has been exaggerated by some. Um, that's not to say I don't rate him. That's not to say I don't think most of the time he's performed. But there have been some games where I've looked at him and he's missed a couple of chances and not really been as involved. And I've been a little bit disappointed. So, you know, I, I take that point on board. But, you know, we, we, when you're comparing him to the current options, you know, I think most he's had a better season than Willian. He's had a better season than Nicolas Pepe. Therefore, for me, he warrants his side, his place in the side. Right. Um, I'm going to pick up one more just because I'm pushed for time. But as I say, don't worry, there is another stream coming your way later on today. And we'll do a question and answer section at the end of that one as well. So come back, join me at 5 p.m. and we'll get our teeth stuck into that as well. Uh, Yusuf says, what are we going to do with Lucas Torreira? He's pretty much stated that Boca is the only club he wants to play for. But are we going to get decent money for him? This is a massive, massive problem. Um, because Lucas Torreira has made it abundantly clear that he wants to return to South America. He's a Boca Juniors fan, so naturally it's a club that he'd like to go and play for someday. But Boca Juniors financially don't have the clout, in my opinion, to make Arsenal sell him, to make Arsenal part ways with him. Um, 
which is which is going to be a bit of a problem. Um, I wonder if, you know, you, you look at Lucas Torreira, right? And I know the club have to be ruthless and put themselves first in these situations. But you look at Lucas Torreira, right? We, we spent £25 million on him. It's not worked out. We've then sent him on loan to, to Atletico Madrid. It's not worked out there either. Um, and now you're kind of at a point where you're, you're almost sitting there t- thinking to yourself, you know, do we just cut this guy loose? Do we just let him go and be happy and accept that we made a mistake financially later on? Because I can't see Arsenal getting mega money for Lucas Torreira, regardless of whether he stays in Europe or not. Because the reality is he hasn't played football all season and the season before that he was a fringe player. So I I, I can't see anybody, particularly at a time like this, smashing the bank for Lucas Torreira. And so if Boca Juniors come along with an offer of 10, 12 million pounds, I think you probably consider taking it. Um, I, I've always said it, you know, people talk about getting 20 million for Torreira, 20 million for Ganduzi. I said, don't I said people need to be realistic about the players that we can bring in. Well, they also need to be realistic about the money that we can get for these players that we're potentially looking to sell. And um, and I think that ten to f- anywhere between ten and fifteen million is a realistic valuation of Lucas Torreira right now. We, yes, we signed him for twenty five, but he's had a couple of seasons of pretty much no football and failed to make an impact at any of those points. So um, there we go. There we go. Um, it's an unfortunate situation, but I think is one that we're just going to have to cut loose and accept a bit of a loss on. Um, and, and that's just a reminder, isn't it, of the bad business that Arsenal have done over the years and why we find ourselves in this uh, position in the first place. But right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, a big thank you to everybody who joined me on this edition of the podcast. As I say, I'll be back with another episode looking ahead to Arsenal versus Liverpool. We'll do a Q&A session on that one as well in the second half of the show. So make sure you turn your notifications on. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Let's check in how we stand in terms of our likes. Where are we at? Have you smashed the like button? There is over right now. There is over 125 of you watching us on YouTube. So surely we should have at least 100 likes. Um, No, we've only got 36. (laughs) which is a long way off of where we need to be. So make sure you smash that like button if you haven't done so already. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new. Make sure you check out our membership position and I'll be back later on with more. Until then, take care and enjoy your Friday. Cheers. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.